Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for precious time of worship, singing praises unto you. We pray, Lord, that you would um, teach us now through your holy word, enable us to, to understand the truths that are here, apply them to our lives, Lord. I pray that if there's any that are yet to know you, that aren't yet saved, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for them. For us as believers, Lord, may we fall more deeply in love with you and have our theology checked and um, make sure that it's in line with Holy Scripture, Lord. We pray for our congregation, Lord, for, Lord, all those who are here and those aren't, who aren't able to be here this morning, Lord. Um, enable us just to trust you, to depend upon you, to call upon you, Lord to grow in you, to shine brightly for you, Lord. We'll give you all the glory. We praise you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for it, Lord. Minister to our hearts through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I didn't plan on doing this, but, but um, let's, see, let's see how well I do. I'll, you can tell me on the way out how poorly I failed, but... Um, at our church, we have a lot of athletes. Well, at least there was a time where Andy and Heidi were with us on a trip, and, and uh, they were talking about how much they ate, and they're like, well, we have to eat because we're athletes. And then they, like, they were making reference that I was not. And I'm like, totally bugged me. I'm like, like, are you, like I played college soccer. Are you saying I'm not an athlete? Like, no, but we're like, we're still athletes. And those days are gone from those years ago, years ago. And uh, no, they still are athletes. But um, some of us maybe were better in the past at some point. But there's a lot of different people who have played different sports. Just looking around, let's see. Kurt, water polo player, UCI, Jeff Sanderson, basketball player for Occidental. Is that right? Ray Woolsey. Football player, Long Beach State. Jack Connors, football player, Oregon. And then went on to the NFL World Football League. Side note, Bill Coonerty said that Jack was one of the finest athletes he'd ever seen. Um, fast, just stud. Let's see, who else do we have here? Um, Christina Mario Played for Cal State Fullerton. All-time leading assist for soccer there. Nikki played for Vanguard University soccer. Lots of soccer players. Michelle Gleason played for UCLA soccer. Tony, all-around stud. Um, <laughs> Jordan Replogle played college football. Who else? Oh, gosh. I'm sure there's others. I'm missing it. Ronnie, I don't know. Did you know? Played football at Tribuca <laughs> Hills High School. CIF champs. You think of like the different things that uh, uh, pro motorcycle guy, Dan Norris, pro motorcycle guy that flies up the air and does spins and all kinds of stuff. There's just lots of people here that did different sports. And, and uh, um, again, I know I, I probably failed. Eric Pitts, starting quarterback, El Toro High School. Um, 
Lots of different people did different sports. Some of you guys were fast, super fast. Some of you could jump high. Some of you guys could jump far. But if I asked you to go to the San Clemente Pier, we took down the last rail, and I said to you, let's see if we can jump all the way to Hawaii. It doesn't matter how great you are. I mean, you, you may be able to make it a couple feet further than others. I would trip on some knot in the wood before I ever made it to the edge. But the bottom line is this, is that no matter how great of an athlete you were, no matter how far you could jump, you will fail miserably when it comes to making it all the way to Hawaii. In fact, it would be embarrassing for you to look and say like, well, I made it eight inches further than you did. Because the bottom line is this, is that we can't even come close. Our own personal abilities, athleticism, whether you are one now or you were one once, you you won't even come close to making it to Hawaii. And yet you would make it a whole lot further than you would make it if it came down to What can you do to save yourself and to earn eternity in heaven? We can't even come close. We will all trip on some knot and fall to our faces before we ever even make it to the edge of being able to earn God's favor when it comes to eternity. Brian Roney, Fresno State, soccer. Sorry, I don't want you to be left out. But you got here late. <laughs> and so we look at Scripture. And when you start going through the book of Ephesians, Paul is not subtle when he talks about what it is that God has done for us. He's not subtle. He's not subtle as far as enabling us for, to understand that it is God who has done this work. Let's just review briefly. Look at chapter 1 with me for a moment. We'll skip a lot, but just look at some key verses. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That tells us a whole lot about what he has done. And that it wasn't determined about on how far we jumped, right? He blessed us. He chose us. He made us holy and without blame. He predestined us to adoption. He did it according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and all prudence. He is the one who made known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It's him that did these things. If you look at verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and mighty and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He made you alive, chapter 2, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He did it. God is the one, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He's the one who raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And now we come to a text that is just absolutely phenomenal for us as believers. For, and this is what we're looking at this morning, for, by grace... You have been saved through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Precious doctrine here. You think of the church where for 2,000 years there have been those who would call themselves Christians, who have developed a system of works, developed a system of salvation that comes through the works of your own flesh. It may be salvation that comes partially through grace, but also here's the works that you must do. You'd find that within Mormonism, You'd find that within Roman Catholicism. You'd find it that it's being taught through Jehovah's Witnesses. You'd find it being taught in a number of different Protestant churches as well, whose doctrine is just simply poor. How do you handle a text like this if we're to be under the authority of God's word and say, how is it that I should think about my salvation? Now, I know that there's people here that could have come from any one of those backgrounds, or maybe you still find yourself in one of those backgrounds. I pray that this, this morning this text would just come alive to you and be absolutely precious to you in your understanding of the gospel. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. We hold to you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. In Scripture, alone is our authority, the five solaces. These things matter to us. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I read a story this week of a larger church that had three different mission churches that were under its care. And on the first Sunday of the new year, all the members of all of the churches, the three mission churches as well as this larger church, 
they'd all get together and partake in a communion service together. In those mission churches, these were ones that were located in the, the slums of the city. And, and so there's all kinds of people that had been saved in these mission churches. There were thieves and there, was, there were burglars and there were those that had spent a considerable amount of time in jail and they got saved. And they all came together, right? One, this day, the pastor saw a former burglar kneeling beside a judge of the Supreme Court of England. And it was the very judge that had sent this man to jail. And the man had served there for seven years in jail. And after his release, the burglar had been converted, became a Christian, and served in ministry. And yet as, as he knelt there, the judge and the former convict, neither one seemed to be aware of the other. After the service, the judge was walking with the pastor and said to him, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? And the pastor replied, yes, I, but, but I, I didn't know that you noticed. And the two walked along in silence for a few more moments, and then the judge said, what a miracle of grace. And the pastor nodded in agreement, yes, what a marvelous miracle of grace. And then the judge said, but to whom do you refer? The pastor said, why, to the conversion of that convict. And the judge said, but I, I was not referring to him. I was thinking of myself. And the pastor surprised, he, he replied by saying, you, you were thinking of yourself? I don't understand. Yes, the judge replied. It was natural for the burglar to receive God's grace when he came out of jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he saw Jesus as his Savior, he knew there was salvation, hope, and joy for him. And he knew how much he needed that help. But look at me. I was taught from the earliest infancy to live as a gentleman. That my word was to be my bond. That I was to say my prayers to go to church, take communion, and so on. I went through Oxford. I took my degrees. Was called to the bar and eventually became a judge. Pastor, it was God's grace that drew me. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive it. I'm the greatest miracle of his grace. Isn't that awesome? Because you may be in a category of positioning yourself as the burglar. Man, if anybody knew my background, if anybody here knew what I had done, oh, they would just understand my love for the grace of God and what it is that he has accomplished for me. But there could also be someone that grew up in a Christian home. You grew up in a Christian home. You grew up in Sunday school, hearing the Bible stories, listening to all these things. You grew up being a gentleman, being in a place where where your manners were good. You, You did the right thing. You tried hard. You got your degree. You have a good job. You're esteemed by others. But oh, the grace of God that he saved you. You who might have thought of yourself as, I'm okay. You who might have put yourself in that position of, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other men, other women. God softening your heart. God breaking you. 
God showing you your sin. God working to open your eyes. God taking you who were just so full of pride and self-righteousness to show you, no, you are in desperate need of a Savior. What a miracle of grace that he saved you. That he saved you. Oh, how hard it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How hard it is for a rich man, right? Come into the kingdom of God. Someone who thinks that they have need of nothing. And yet, we sit here together, whether you're the burglar or the judge. Whether you have a great background or a poor background. We sit here together, all of us looking and saying, what an incredible miracle of grace. He made me alive. He took me who were dead in my sins and trespasses. He made me alive with Christ. He did this. What a miracle of grace. And I pray that would be how each one of us thinks this morning. What a miracle of grace and what he's done in my life. Let's look at this text piece by piece. For by grace you have been saved. Grace. Grace is an amazing, precious gift from the Lord. I've shared with this, this with you before, but I, I, I truly desire for my kids to love grace. When they've done something that is worthy of discipline, like worthy of, of discipline in which if, if you ask my kids, I, I can be scary at times. Jonathan said when he was like a little guy, maybe like three years old, Daddy, when you're really upset, you look at me like this. <laughs> times where I send them to their room and they're in tears because they know that discipline's coming. Loving discipline. Loving discipline's coming, but loving discipline still sometimes hurts, right? But it's a precious thing for me to hear my kids say, Daddy, can, can you show me grace? The reason why they say that is because there's been times where it's, I'm going to show you grace. However, we need to stop doing what you're doing, and this is why it's wrong. And if, if my kids here, I'm going to show you grace. They go from tears to, so thankful. Grace. I remember Jonathan, the first time he said that to me, Daddy, can you show me grace? I had never heard him say that. He was literally like three. Can you show me grace? And I know my, my, eyes, my eyes welled up with tears. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, you own me right now, just so you know. Like, yeah, I can show you grace. Daddy needs grace too. And I remember him just, he kind of like lit up like, what? I'm like, oh, daddy needs so much grace. God shows me grace every single day. I love grace, Jonathan. I love grace. You do? And we just started talking about the grace of God and that every one of us needs grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Let's look at some different aspects of grace as we find it in Scripture. Grace does not come through the law. In John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came 
through Jesus Christ. In Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so, it's not through the law that grace comes. Grace comes from Christ, who was the fulfillment of all the law, but it's not by our keeping of the law. Not only that, but grace is free, but it's given by God and comes at a great cost to Christ. It's not cheap. In Romans 3.24, it tells us that being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You've been justified freely, made as if you had never sinned. And it was by His grace, through the payment, the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. In Exodus 33, verse 19, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. He will be gracious on whom he will be gracious. And that's to us. It was freely given to you. He determined to show grace to you. Grace is unmerited. It's undeserved. In Romans 4, verse 4, it says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You can't have both. You can't have... I'm going to jump as far as I can off the pier. And then I'll have grace take me the rest of the way. It doesn't work like that. You're not going to get into heaven because you did 50% of it. Or because you did 25% of it. Or because you've accomplished 10% of it. You're going to get to heaven... Because he accomplished all of it. It's grace that has been given. It's not works. Wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. It's grace. In Romans 11, verse 5, it says, Even so then, at the present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. It's one or the other. How many of you want to get to heaven based on what you have done plus what he has done? I don't think any of us want to, do we? But we think like that sometimes, don't we? I know that, that there's a, it happens frequently when you ask somebody who is not well taught as far as your sinfulness, your depravity, the gospel, God's grace. If you ask them a question like, if you were to go before God in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you into the kingdom of God? Why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? 
And that, that's a common way to present the gospel to somebody and to see where they're at. More often than not, you'll hear people say things like, gosh, I, never, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I try, I try to do the right thing. I, I've gone to church a lot. I pray sometimes, like when I have a test or something like that. I, I mean, there's a lot of people that are a whole lot worse than I am. I mean, I, I think I've done enough. Those are the kind of responses that people give who don't understand texts like this. You're, you are not saved because you maybe did enough. It's either grace or it's works. If you want to try to get into heaven based on your works, you tripped on the knot before you ever got to the edge. You didn't even come close. If you think that you did, you, you have failed miserably in understanding the holiness of God. And you have failed miserably in understanding your sinfulness. Scripture is so clear on that. It's one or the other. You cannot have grace and works together. They are mutually exclusive. They're totally contrary to one another. You look at Noah, Genesis 6, verse 8. Him and his family have been placed in the ark. God closes the door. Judgment comes upon all the earth. Why? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was grace. Grace is what saved him. Grace is also eternal. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that radical to think about? Before time ever began, grace was given to you. Grace was given to you before he ever created anything. It's not that you figured it out. It's not that you've done your part. He showed you grace. He chose you, predestined you, adopted you unto salvation before the foundations of the world. And grace was given to you before time began. When you hear stuff like that, do you think much of yourself as far as what you did? how far you jumped, what you've accomplished, how much he needed you, how glad you figured things out. Not at all. You come to a place of, so he knew this, and he did this, and he gave that to me before he ever created anything? That's grace. The sovereign grace of God abounds. Look at Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as, a, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love text like this. When I read, for by grace you've been saved, I am so thankful to know that grace reigns and that grace 
abounds. I have been saved, and how is it that I've been saved? By grace. By grace you have been saved, and it is abounding grace. And when my sin abounds, when, I, when, my, when my sin is just stacking up, his grace is abounding much more. And so it is for you. His grace abounds towards you. And so as a church, as Christians, we preach grace. You think of Paul where he says in Acts chapter 20, and see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. It's going to hurt. I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen, but chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. To what? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I will go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but it's going to hurt. But it doesn't move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, because I want to finish my race with joy, and I want to tell people about the gospel, the good news of the grace of God. And so we do as we proclaim the gospel. I pray, brothers and sisters, that if you have not had a passion to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to tell people of Christ, may God convict it into your heart that you would look at every opportunity to do that. Make it your aim to proclaim the gospel to somebody, to multiple people this week. The gospel of the grace of God, the best news that anybody could ever possibly hear, grace. He'll show you grace. He'll show them grace. It's abounding grace. It's sovereign grace. It's eternal grace. It doesn't ever end. It is good. It is good. We preach grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. We're saved by faith alone. Remember when the earth shook and Paul and Silas' chains fell off? They were in that inner part of the jail and the jailer goes to kill himself when he sees that the doors are open of the jail. He assumes that everybody's escaped. And Paul and Silas stop him. He's amazed that they didn't leave. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on him. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That faith is believing, knowing who Christ is, trusting him, Faith in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is that encouraging to you? It is to me. When I look at this and think, how is it that I can know that I'm saved? Through Christ. My faith is in him. If you were to ask me, what would you say to God as far as why should I let you in? My response would be, because Christ 
took all my sins upon himself, paid the price for me, gave me his righteousness. I got nothing. My only hope is in Christ. I think that's the only proper answer that we could have. The Puritans used to use this word recumbency to describe faith. Not a word that we use all that much today, but it's a word that that means to to lean upon something, to lean with all your weight upon something. Faith in Christ is this leaning upon him with all your weight. I can't do it on my own. I can't get in on my own merit. I can't jump far enough. I have to lean on him completely, entirely. My only hope is to lean upon him. Do you lean fully upon Christ? Is there dependence upon him for salvation? I know that the majority of the people here this morning would say, yes, I do. Your theology is good. You know the gospel. You know what God's word says. But I also got to think that there's some with great theology that struggle with assurance. You got great theology, but then your mind starts taking you to, but you did this, and you've done that, and you fail in this area, and you fail in that area. And you get to a place of questioning and questioning and questioning because your work's driven, your performance's driven. You think like that. May we not only know these things, believe these things, but may we do these things. May we lean on him. Lean on him. Do you believe Christ to be the son of God, second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead? Do you believe that he gave you his righteousness? The gospel. Lean on him. May the response to those questions be yes and yes and yes and yes. My only hope is him. Faith is belief in God and it's sourced in God. Look at John 1, 12. It tells us more about faith. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And then it tells us more about that faith that we have. You were born again, not of blood, nor of the will of your own flesh, nor of the will of any particular man, but you were born of God, born of God, born again. God did it. We're justified by faith, not of works. Galatians 2.16. Knowing the man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Precious, isn't it? It is only by faith in Christ that you are saved. It's that alone. Justification by faith alone. During the Reformation, it was said 
that this is the doctrine upon which the church either stands or it falls. It is absolutely critical that we understand this. You are saved by faith in Christ alone. It's not what you've accomplished. It's not what you've done. It's not how well you've kept the law. Man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we live by faith. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. We're saved by faith, we live by faith. Trusting, depending upon Him. And it is through faith that we're not condemned. Passage familiar to everybody here. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. If your faith is in Christ, you're not condemned. That ought to matter so much to you. To not be condemned. To not be there and have him say, depart from me, I never knew you. To not be cast outside of the glory of God where there's weeping and ashing of teeth for all eternity. To not still be under your sin and the wrath that comes with it from God. To be free. To be in a place where there's therefore now no condemnation. It comes through faith in Christ and faith alone. Joyful, joyful thing to be in a place where you know through the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit who's given it to us, the authority of such promises that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You're not condemned. There's some that have looked at this and said, well, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, meaning that the not of yourselves is talking about the grace, but not talking about the faith. It'd be redundant to say such a thing because grace alone, we know, is not of ourselves. But the text, when you look at it, for by grace you've been saved through faith, he's making a point that these things, grace and our faith, is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you see how the Holy Spirit... He wants us to get this. 
He wants you to get that all of the glory goes to God for taking you from the San Clemente Pier all the way into eternity. It's all Him. It's all by grace. It's not of works. It comes through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift that has come from God, not of works, so that you would not boast. It's all Him. There's no boasting when it comes to our salvation. Can you imagine what it would be like if it was part us? I mean, what if you sat here in this congregation and you knew like, well, Josh Louisa, he did 42%. Nikki, 12%. And you go through person by person. This person, 56%. This person, 3%. The ones that had higher percentage would be more likely to be like, 56, almost did it by myself, right? Almost got there. God wants us to get that you didn't do it at all. It was a gift that came from God. If you sit here this morning and you're a believer in Christ, Your eyes have been opened. You know you're a sinner. You know that Christ is God. You know he died on the cross for your sins. You know he rose again on the third day. And all of your hope for salvation is in him. He did that in you. He drew you through his Holy Spirit. He took you who were dead in your sins and trespasses and made you alive. He took you who were running away from him and brought you towards him. He's the one that made you a new creation. There's no boasting. You notice that when it's depart from me, I never knew you. What's happening there? The guys that are boasting are the ones that aren't saved. But then we do many wonders in your name. I mean, we cast out demons. We did all kinds of stuff, didn't we? We we did all these things in your name. And his response is, depart from me, I never knew you. The believer is not sitting here going, didn't I do it? I, I did enough, right? I did enough, right? That's not the believer. The believer said, when were you hungry and we fed you? When were you in prison and we visited you? And Jesus says, as much as you did unto the least of these, my brother, you've done it unto me. It wasn't them that are looking and saying, did I do enough? Did I do enough? They're saying, we got nothing. It all came by grace. There is no boasting. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. There's no boasting. We are all on equal ground here. Our only boast is in Christ. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For see your calling, brethren, they're not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are, which are mighty. 
the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. Just stop in for there for a second. Do you kind of find yourself in that category? Foolish? Weak? Base? Despised? You're in good company. He chose the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became for us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In him. Not one of you will have robes that have been kept perfectly clean, white. Because you were spotless while here on earth. Not one of us. Not one of the people in heaven are there looking at their robes saying, I got in here clean. The robes that we'll have will have been washed with the precious blood of Christ. Every last one of us. Forgiven by him. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, not of you. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. May our boast, may our glorying this morning be in Christ. And I pray that it would put a smile on your face as you sing these final songs of praise, knowing that he has done it all, all, all of it. He's done it all. And may we find ourselves humbled. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's all of him. And I pray as a result, he is exalted here this morning through the praises of his people. And we find great joy in this salvation that we have. Will you pray with me? What a text, Lord. We're thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. It wasn't of works, but it was through you you accomplishing our salvation, making the payment in full, and bringing us unto you for salvation. I pray, Lord, that, that on this morning you would just eliminate pride, cause us to be in awe of all that you've done. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody who's come in here carrying a heavy load, 
of their sins that they've committed. Things that they hope that they could carry by themselves. That you would just take those things off of them this morning. Make them love. Make us love grace. You show us grace and it's abounding grace. If there's anybody here that is not a believer, I pray that this morning would be a time where your Holy Spirit works so mightily to show them that they are in desperate need of grace and it comes through faith. They don't have to clean themselves up before they come to you. It's not of works. It's all of you. And that today would be the day that they trust in you and even give you all the glory for bringing them here to this day to hear the power of your word proclaimed through Holy Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that the gospel of the grace of God would be such that we love it so much that we desire to leave this place and proclaim it over and over and over again. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. May we be those who bring good tidings of great joy to others by proclaiming the gospel. Now, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified through our praises. In Jesus' name, amen.